are listening to Culture Bop Selects, the official pop culture and media discussion podcast of Culture Bop. This is episode 11, and I am your host, the one and only Bebop Man, Josh McMullen. And I am joined today by my new co-host for this podcast, or well, my, I should say it like this, my new co-host for this podcast, the one and only Skyrise Excellence himself, Justin Ruiz. How are you doing today, fine fellow? Hello. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm doing. This is fun. Could be better, could be worse. Could be better, could be worse. Hopefully better, hopefully not worse. Correct. Correct. So, uh, yeah, I think we should probably start this thing off by saying that uh, it's been a while. Um, We had some some stuff come up and, you know, a lot of little things that caused us to kind of get knocked to the wayside for a little bit. But um, this is something that I've kind of been wanting to do for forever so i thought that we should bring it back and justin and i said happily agreed i said yeah we should (laughs) (laughs) yeah basically so um yeah so going forward uh we're going to be moving this to a bi-weekly podcast as opposed to a weekly one and it will be the two of us occasional special guests but for the most part, it'll just be the two of us. Um, yeah, so, well, I, I I mean, the way that we usually shoot the shit with uh, Hunting Pixels is when we kind of talk about what we've been watching and consuming. But, like, what what have you been up to? What, what What's going on? Oh, you know, a little of this, a little of that. Uh, where we're recording at this point. At this juncture in time, uh, I started season three of The Boys. I'm liking it. I'm digging it. I am about 60 to, I would say 60 to 70% through Ghostwire Tokyo. I am begrudgingly okay. trying to finish that. Um, I, You know, I'm that guy that's like, I, the, the perfect example of this was when the first Watch Dogs came out. And I remember just, <laughs> I remember playing that game, and I was like, I hate this game so much, but I'm going to finish this game. <laughs> I have no intention of not finishing it. So I, I made a point of it. And I, I, I don't hate Ghostwire, but uh, I'm not, I'm not in love with it the same way that I thought I would be. Just kind of playing something that I think would just pass some time until you know, some other new games come out, but, uh, I'm very excited for what's on the horizon for the summer. I'm going to probably see Top Gun next week. Mm. And, uh, that's kind of it. Maybe clear out some backlog. How are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, you know, um, mostly just working on videos and social media stuff. Um, I, I know I just put this out on the uh, on the Instagram story, but I am still waiting word back on my appeal for the Stranger Things copyright claim. Um, I put it in a dispute because I, I think that it's fair use for what I'm doing. 
Um, so, yeah, hopefully that's resolved. But uh, I've started work on the next quote-unquote big video. Uh, it's the um, why you should watch horror movies. <laughs> so working on that and then just, uh, you know, making clips from the shows, making thumbnails. Like, I don't, I don't have much time to do anything else. So Do, Doing bops work. Yeah, doing the work of the bop. So I'm excited for the horror one. As someone yeah, who does it, not watch a lot of horror, I would like somebody to explain to me why I should. Well, you're going to get that, I promise. <laughs> uh, well, let's not beat around the bush too much. Let's go ahead and get in to this. As of the time of, I guess, recording this episode, we're exactly one week away from the 28th anniversary of one of the biggest blockbusters of all time. If the title or thumbnail or teaser post that came out before this on Instagram, um, haven't already given it away. We are of course talking about 1993's Jurassic park. So I want to start this off by asking you, what is your first memory of this movie? What is your first experience? I, we were just talking about this before the show, but I remember seeing Jurassic Park in theaters. My uncle took my brother and I, so I was, well, I was probably way too young to see this movie, but w- he took us to go see it. It was like a matinee showing, so we didn't see it opening weekend or something like that, we, but we saw it during the day, uh, and I remember being blown away by Jurassic Park, just sitting there in complete awe of what I was watching. And as as a little kid, right? I mean, I was, oh boy, 87, 93. I'm not going to do the quick math on that, but you can probably guess where I was. But as a kid, fascinated by, like, dinosaurs and and big action and stuff like that, I, I was blown away. I loved it. And we, once we were done, we definitely wanted like all the toys and you know like i wanted my muldoon figure and i wanted (laughs) i wanted that jeep that jeep was like Mm -hmm. i wanted that jeep so i didn't even care about the dinosaurs at that point i just wanted that like and to this day if i ever saw like that sort of jungle camo like canvas top jeep i'd be like you know how much how much you want for that what what are you thinking (laughs) but uh those were just so many iconic things that came out of that movie. And I was, I just remember being absolutely stunned. Um, and to this day, still quoting it <laughs> in a lot of ways, but what about you, Josh? What were your, what were you, what was, I guess your first experience with JP? Yeah. Uh, so I was, I'm like a year, year and a half younger than you. So, if you were around, like, six or seven, I was around, like, five or six when this movie came out. And I very distinctly have memories of my first movie theater experience ever being The Lion King. And the next thing that I remember in terms of, like, movie-going experience or whatever is I remember that my grandma had this movie on VHS. 
and we would go to her house like all the time because she lived, I mean, it, literally walking distance to us. And so we would be over there all the time and she would she'd be like, oh, do you want to put something on? And I would always watch this movie. I probably watched this movie, I, I don't know, 15, 20 times Till the tape as a kid. Out. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, like literally every time we were over there, I was like, let's put on Jurassic Park. So, um, I unfortunately didn't get to see it in theaters until it was re-released in, uh, 2013, I think. They did, like, a, a anniversary 3D print of it, and, uh, I went and saw that with a bunch of friends, but, um, yeah, my, my first experience was definitely the, uh, the VHS sometime around, like, 94, 95, it was. So. I'm sure that I. I don't know what the sales were on the VHS side, but I can only imagine that was a hot seller. Oh yeah, I. I had thought about this. I feel like I remember them giving this. Well, maybe not giving it away, but like, I feel like I remember it being available to be bought in like McDonald's. Maybe I'm wrong, but like I. I know for a fact that stuff like um we had a when I was growing up they we had a. VHS for Field of Dreams and The Land Before Time. And both of those we got from McDonald's. And I feel like I remember Jurassic Park being something, had some sort of thing to do with that. But I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just making that up. Uh, You know what, though? The guy who brokered that deal, (laughs) he's... He's in the south of France right now on his yacht. <laughs> like, right? Like, what did you do? I sold Jurassic Park through McDonald's, and I made billions of dollars. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so I, I remember this movie really, really vividly. Um, well, speaking of ancient history, right? Should we go into the history of Jurassic Man, Park? Man, took the words right out of my mouth. I know. I was trying to... Th- uh, well, Try you didn't take them out of my mouth. <laughs> I was trying to think of a transition. Um, Yeah, so I think it would be important to talk about kind of the history uh-huh. of what was going on with Jurassic Park, but as well as probably the two lead figures behind the movie, which would be, obviously, Steven Spielberg, but also Michael... I hope I'm saying this right. Crichton. Crichton. Yeah. So, uh, Michael Crichton (laughs) was the, (laughs) was the, uh, kind of lead on this, uh, for a long time. He started writing books in the sixties and kind of continued that. Like he was writing them as John Lang. And, he was writing those during school uh, while he was pursuing um, a medical degree. And after he got his MD at Harvard, um, he was offered a medical fellowship in somewhere in California. I don't remember the exact location, but um, he was offered a fellowship out there and he turned it down to pursue writing. And, it was during this time that he kind of became a best-selling author and he published his first book under his own name, which was, uh, 
the Andromeda strain in 1969. And he would leverage that throughout the 70s to uh, write other books and screenplays. Um, he had another book that was reached uh, that had reached the best best seller list uh, that I think was the great train robbery. And then he kind of transitioned into writing uh, screenplays. And one of those was Westworld, which is actually kind of um, like a weird predecessor to Jurassic Park. Uh, and actually is also, uh, I think his directorial debut. Um, but all throughout the seventies, he was writing these screenplays. He was writing these books. And then we get into the eighties and he begins to work on this screenplay about a graduate student who recreated a dinosaur, but he kind of decided to shelf the idea in favor of writing a novel. And the novel would go through several different, uh, phases and changes and it eventually landed in, uh, landed on the plot kind of taking a more adult perspective instead of having it with a I mean for lack of a better term a child being the main character and it's around this time that Crichton is also working on a screenplay and he's working with Spielberg actually um, and that would become the basis for the TV show, uh, ER. Um, but yeah, so all of that's going on Spielberg at the same time. I want to save some of the stuff we'll talk about with Spielberg in regards to his, his like earlier career until we get to next week's episode or not next week, but next episode but basically the broad strokes that get us to Jurassic Park is during the 80s he was a gigantic deal he was producing hit after hit you know he had Gremlins in 84 I think 85 was Goonies you know he had uh or no sorry 85 was Back to the Future I think 86 was Goonies um Either way, like it was just hit after hit after hit. And along this like timeline of events, he was also putting out all kinds of incredibly like well-renowned movies. Like he had obviously he had his big uh blockbuster movies like the um uh Indiana Jones movies, right? But then he was also working on stuff like Empire of the Sun, The Color Purple. At one point, he was involved with um, the Twilight Zone movie. I think he may have, I think he may have produced that, but I don't think he had a directorial segment in it. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> and then he gets to the end of the '80s, and he kind of has this flop with always the romantic drama starring Richard Drivers, um, which was actually based on a movie from the forties. And it was really personal. It was really personal to him. Um, and he, he did, he does this, but he starts to feel like, 
uh, the way he described it was artistically stalled. Um, so he kind of takes a little bit of time off between when 89, when always is released and 1990. And he's still doing stuff behind the scenes. Obviously, you know, he's talking with, um, Crichton about ER and all this other stuff. But then he gets, uh, he gets the chance to adapt hook or, well, he's not adapting it, but you know, anyway. Um, so, he makes that, and it is, it's not very well received, but he sees it as a, like, a shot in the arm that he needed. And so, during that time, he's actually also working on pre-production for Jurassic Park. Um, and Jurassic Park's um, pre-production phase lasts 23 months. So he starts the uh, the pre-production for Jurassic Park in, uh, let me see, where was it? It was, the filming began in August of 92 and it had 25 months of pre-production. So that would have been, what, July of 1990? And so he's doing all of this stuff uh, and then finally gets to shooting time. And at this point, Spielberg is still like a cultural touchstone. Like he is just massive. And the movie releases in 1993 and it is just, it's got his name attached to it. It's about dinosaurs. It is just massive. The movie would go on to gross. I'm trying to find it right now. It was the highest uh, grossing movie worldwide. Uh, even, let's see, up to that point it had been E.T. in, uh, 82, right? Yes. And, yeah, and he just, the, the movie is gigantic. Uh, you were gonna say how much it grossed? Did you have that? One point, basically 1.1 billion. Yeah. It's fucking massive. (laughs) That is a, a, a understatement. Yeah, and on a budget of 63. Three million. Yeah, and the thing it was it was a colossal success. Just absolutely nuts. Did you? Uh, I don't know if did you read any uh, into anything on like the uh, what the rights were like for the movie, like when it was like sold and everything like that. No, I, I don't. I'm not familiar with sort of like how the book was adapted, and okay. I guess the book was the book was 1990, right? Or the novel, I guess you'd say. Yeah, it was yeah. 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, and those those types of conversations and those types of discussions can go. I feel like can go many ways. The two ways that I can always think of is it can go very smoothly and fast, and it sort of is just like. Hey, we'll adapt this for film, and we will we will do what we want with it. Or it can be a nightmare of creative control, where the two opposing sides just want to make their changes or want to stand by the original source material. So, so in many ways, like film adaptation of written work can be nightmarish. Yes, 
Um, so I had researched a little bit of this before, um, before we were, you know, recording and everything. And it's really interesting because the book wasn't finished yet and they were trying to get the, um, uh, the, the movie rights, like kind of like tied up or whatever. And it actually ended up. The only reason that it ended up following uh, falling to Universal is because Amblin had a working deal with them at the time, and Universal was actually, according to what I read, uh, was actually on the verge of like bankruptcy. Like they they needed a hit and they needed it now, and they put all their eggs in this basket. And I mean, now Universal's still around and they're they're gigantic, you know, but. I just thought that was really interesting that it wasn't necessarily that Universal sought the uh, sought the film rights or whatever. It was more so that like they went in and bought them at the behest of Spielberg because they needed a hit. (laughs) But um, it's like, yeah, pretty much right place, right time. Yeah, literally. So, uh, yeah, I think. The next place we should probably start is maybe going into the actually the, the filmmaking breakdown of this. Um, and we should take a look at kind of, I think, the plot uh, and maybe the themes. Sure. And I think that um, we can also maybe have you ever read the book? I've not read Jurassic Park. I've seen the film many times. Okay, okay. Um, I've uh, not read any of Crichton's work. It's not that I can't read. It's just that I choose not to. Well, um, good. L- luckily for you, I have read the book. Um, I don't remember it all that well, but I do. Like, there are things that definitively stick out to me so we could potentially get into like differences between the book and the movie as well yeah um at least the ones that i remember (laughs) so uh but yeah we should start with the writing um my my first question is to you when we when we get there with the um i i i want to see what are your thoughts on the the plot itself like the the construction of it and you know things of that nature yeah the in a day and age where so many different kind of crazy concepts are thrown all over the place and science fiction is so um not that i want to use the word commonplace but it is very in our zeitgeist um in a way where people kind of see this stuff all the time the concept of Jurassic Park is just, it's kind of mind-blowing if you think about it in mm-hmm. the early 90s of, like, here here we have this scientist being able to extract, and at the time, DNA, which was a real, it's a real concept, it was a real thing that was used, but in a lot of ways, people thought it was sort of this, like, hey, genetic makeup. That sounds like science fiction to me, but using this this type of science to construct this work of fiction, it's it's a it's fantastic, right? And it's totally it's totally out of this world. Um, 
the concept of taking that DNA, extracting it, and then, of course, in the most American way possible, making a theme park based on that to, <laughs> to showcase dinosaurs. In a lot of ways, it, it looking back on it, it is like one of those, if it wasn't a theme park, it would have been weapons. But, mm-hmm. um, which I guess that's more of what the later movies are about. But, uh, and <laughs> the legacy of Jurassic Park, huh? Um, but the idea of, of extracting it and making this sort of like petting zoo for all of these creatures that have once walked the earth is, is sort of hilarious, right? It's, it's this crazy, crazy concept. And, of course, it would have to be in this, like, remote jungle region of the world because how else would these things survive? And, you know, obviously, if they get loose, what do you do? So the whole idea of it making it into this destination resort is just fantastic. And in a lot, like, I, like I said, in a lot of ways, this is, like, one of the most capitalist kind of things you could do, right, is to is to sort of monetize our romantic view of the past. Um, mm-hmm. But with that being said, it's it's one of those like flying too close to the sun sort of things, right? Where beware that kind of danger that is associated with this. And maybe the dinosaurs were extinct for a reason because they were all, you know, apex predators that <laughs> just destroyed and ravaged the land. But uh, it's a, it's such a crazy, crazy concept. Even now, today, it's still sort of a crazy concept. And the fact that they're still making movies based on this, um, <laughs> again, is kind of is kind of crazy. But what, what what are your thoughts on the plot? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you you nailed like pretty much all the thoughts that I would have about it. Like it, I think in this, uh, like in in. In the day and age that we live in, I actually think that this is a lot more of a viable scenario than it ever has been. Like, it's you go back to 93, and I, I don't know that, like, you could potentially have real dinosaurs in real life. I don't, I don't think that that's a thing in 1993, right? But I think in the era that we live in, you know, we've cloned sheep. Uh, obviously, those things were, like, they were real. Uh, well, not to say the dinosaurs aren't real, but, like, they were living. That's that's the way to put it. Right. It was uh, now. It took place now. Yeah. So, I I, I don't know that we are necessarily still, uh, or, or that we are any more able to, to bring a dinosaur back to life than, than you know, making it, I, I don't know, than it being fiction or whatever. But I, I do feel like, for the time... That it's such an outlandish idea that it is pure kind of like just entertainment, and um, I think that if you were to make this movie now, it actually is a little bit more scary <laughs> because it is something that like again, like maybe we're not able to to fucking bring dinosaurs back to life because it's just that's such an outrageous thing, but. I don't know. Is it outside the realm of possibility? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know all the science behind it, but like, um, with the concept anyway, of like, with the concept of like 3d printing organs, 
as being yeah. a, a as being a real conversation that happens in like the medical community and the the idea of gene editing and and mm-hmm. things like that in a lot of ways in 2022 the concepts of of something like Jurassic Park don't seem out of this world. In 1993, when DNA is like, you know, getting tossed around in, in pop culture, it's still sort of this like mystery. And we've come so far in, in scientific advancements to the fact that like, yes, you could get to a place where you could gene edit. And you could, you know, you could eliminate diseases by editing your genetic makeup. You know, like that. There's these types of conversations that I think people were having back in 1993 of like only the possibilities, and naturally for filmmaking purposes, the possibilities were let's recreate these gigantic beasts that used to destroy everything. Um, It's it's wild to think that. You know, now, if somebody had to watch Jurassic Park, they'd they'd almost kind of be like, well, duh, of course you could do that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I I wanted to um, maybe bring up with this is like you you brought up the idea of theme parks and I think theme parks are still big in some ways, but. Uh, I wanted to pose the idea or the the question to you. Say this movie and book weren't made back in '93, and Jurassic Park never happened. But maybe someone st- has the idea like now. Are theme parks still a viable enough option to make this movie the same movie that it was in 1993? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, look people hundreds of thousands millions of people still go to universal still go to Mm. disney they still go on cruises they still want some form of entertainment right so like i said before i feel like it's either this like a very glorified petting zoo or and this is what the later movies will discuss is like the idea of weaponizing these very apex predators so I think theme parks would be one of the natural ways that you, if somebody were to look at this and say, how do we monetize dinosaurs? Well, if you think about it right now, the, 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 one of the main ways that folks enjoy the concept of dinosaurs is by going to a museum and seeing the remains of them, right? You see these giant skeletal works of, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, art. It's they're mm-hmm. dug up from the ground, right? People are appreciating what came before us, and I think the way that you could appreciate something like, I don't know, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, would be to watch it in its natural environment, you know, from yes. the safety of a very not enclosed jeep. But <laughs> I think the I think the way to really understand, like, okay, if we were going to bring bring something back from the past that is so fantastic and so whimsical how would we interact with it and one of the ways i would think is is sort of putting them putting it in a cage to be able to to view and see and and actually observe which is a lot of what i think the better part or not the better but the the 
more interesting parts of the movie are when you when you see characters like um, Dr. Grant or um, uh, Ian Malcolm, like the ways that they are just fascinated with how the, the dinosaurs are actually interacting, right? I mean, that, that one... That one line gives it away. Like they, they, they move in herds. Like that kind of, oh, I, I want to experience this, this part of the past that we will never be able to see, or we could yeah. never be able to see. So I think that the idea of a, of a theme park, and that's theme park is sort of like bastardizing it, right? Because the, the real, the real, the real way that you get to sort of what a a real life Jurassic Park could be it would have to start out as a a scientific experiment number 1 and i think it would actually really have to pivot into something like this is a living museum as opposed mm-hmm. to you know resorts and gift shops and and you know what what i think the later movies explore whereas in the first movie you kind of get this you do kind of get this sense of like we're going to tour the you know we're going to tour Jurassic Park but this is sort of the historical elements and we do want to pay homage to these beasts but um yeah i think that's really where where it sits for me i, I again i could be 100% wrong but um what do you think you think this is kind of the way that it would go in 2022 to 2023 uh yeah i i mean but the the reason that I brought up the question is I, I guess when I think theme parks I don't really necessarily think Disney or Universal which is weird um, I always think of theme parks as like uh, something like Six Flags yeah but but I mean I guess actually Disney World and like Universal Studios those actually are much more theme parks than than like Six Flags is which is I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you could potentially make it a viable thing. And one of the things that I think you kind of brought up earlier was, like, the, uh, like, the capitalistic, like, let's make dinosaurs, like, something that you can pay for type thing. Uh, and I could totally see what you're saying about, like, like, a living museum, uh, sort of thing being the only way to make it viable because I think that if you get too far into the the capitalistic like interests that would be involved you do start getting into like you said something that like Jurassic World does where it kind of commentates a little bit on like well you know this is what sells scarier sells right and then you have to like you know, start upping the ante and sh- and stuff like that, um, which I actually, I mean, while we're here, I I think this would be a good time to to bring up something from the book is Hammond in the movie. I feel like is very much this sort of like uh, kid who, I mean, well, uh, you know. Uh, um, Ian Ian Malcolm kind of puts it I, I think almost correctly where he's like it's a kid wielding daddy's shotgun and like Hammond really is like this child deep down inside I think he has a very deep love for dinosaurs in the movie and like and for like uh, 
building out attractions for people that are like, like he wants to see the wonder in kids' eyes when they see dinosaurs the same way that he has wonder in his eyes. If that you know kind of makes sense. Yeah, like the way I would describe it is he he comes across very earnest. Yes, yes, that is, that is a very succinct way to put it. But but also like to to what Malcolm is saying, like the way that he's saying, like he's holding a shotgun, like in the same way that it that a child can come across like as as full of wonder and you know quote unquote innocent he's also playing with fire <laughs> yeah 100% and uh so the reason that i that i bring that up is because uh i feel like in the book if if i'm not remembering this incorrectly Hammond is really much more of a villain character than he is in the movie where he very much like almost ignores like kind of like the catastrophic failures that his park is going through because he's so blinded by his own ambition and like and he like arrogance that he he ends up actually kind of becoming like the uh, for lack of a better better term he kind of becomes like the human villain because obviously you know the dinosaurs are there and they're they're you know fucking people up which uh, that is another thing that i uh wanted to bring up um but uh anyway he yeah he kind of becomes like the villain and like here he's like a a much more like wide-eyed earnest you know, entrepreneur, we'll say. Um, but yeah, and, and another thing I wanted to bring up, I, I guess since I just touched on it, is uh, if you read the book, it is way, way more violent. And I think that, um, you know, the script was written both by um, Michael Crichton and David uh, Kep, And I think that a lot of what, we think of with the um, more, I guess, human side uh, to Jurassic Park and the more uh, child-friendly uh, sides of um, of the movie really come from Kep as opposed to Michael Crichton. Uh, if you've ever read any of his books, they... Uh, they go into some really insane detail on things and they can be very, very violent. Um, and Jurassic park is definitely that way there. There's a scene that I remember really distinctly from the book where, uh, Dr. Wu is supposed to be running through. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what he's supposed to be running through, but it's outside and he's supposed to be running between buildings and he runs out and a raptor just, drops down on him and guts him and like it talks about his intestines falling out and stuff it's it's really fucking rad dude it really paints a picture yeah <laughs> but um but yeah i i think that a lot of the the violence got toned down uh when when kept came in uh he also did uh, a good job of making like i said some of the characters i feel like are a little bit more I don't want to say human, but they're at the very least, they're more likable than they are in the book. Like Hammond is a total fucking ass hat in, in the novel. And, um, 
in the movie, you know, he's much more um, uh, what Agre- we were just talking agreeable. about. Yeah, like he's yeah, much yeah, more, yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, so I think the next thing, and I think that you kind of touched on this, we should talk about the themes and. Uh, something that I've seen pop up relatively recently is the sentiment that Jurassic Park isn't really about like playing God with science, but is in fact more about um, unrestrained capitalism. And I wanted to ask you about that first before we got any further, because I can see the points that people would make that would, you know, make them feel that way but i totally disagree with that um yeah or or, or maybe not totally disagree again like i think that there are elements in here that totally are commentaries on capitalism for sure i i think that you know it, it would be blind to say otherwise but i i don't necessarily get that out of the movie what what are your thoughts i you know it's it's funny that you say that because i seeing it as a kid that doesn't you know that doesn't dawn on me seeing it as an adult i understand where somebody could could draw that conclusion Mm -hmm. um with the idea and and the scene that comes to mind like if you think of like Oh, Jurassic Park is commentary on capitalism. The, the scene that comes to mind is the Tyrannosaurus Rex in the gift shop, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's the first thing that comes to comes to my mind is like, oh, of course somebody would would draw that conclusion from there. And and totally, I get I get that the idea of how do we make money off of off of this scientific breakthrough that we've had. A hundred percent, I can totally understand that. But I think. While that is something a few layers down that I don't think is really surface level, I, I think the movie really does shine as a a telltale of this is Icarus flying too close to the sun, right? Mm-hmm. Don't don't take this advancement that we've made and start making all sorts of crazy things just because science says that you're able to you know there there has to be some sort of mitigation there's got to be some sort of uh relegation to this because at some point you you will create a monster even Mm -hmm. though you even though you have these very 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 good intentions um and especially like again at the time that it came out you know nobody nobody's sitting there saying like Oh, all of these sorts of, you know, theme parks or amusement parks or any like any of that kind of stuff is totally uh, bad or or is is harming the nation or any of these things. They're still well revered. And Mm -hmm. I think for anybody to sit there and say this is this is ultimately a very, very hot take on capitalism. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that because there are so many parts of the movie where there is natural appreciation for what's going on around these characters, right? They, mm-hmm. they do actually feel the sense of like, Oh my God, we're connecting with nature 
in a way that mankind hasn't had the opportunity to do for millions of years. Oh, and by the way, there's also a money-making aspect to this, but but also the idea of, oh, we also made the worst one of these things, and they happen to be able to eat guys off of a toilet. You know, like, that's kind yeah. of... That's <laughs> where I think a, a lot of it should be accentuated versus mm-hmm. the idea of it being like, oh, this is just yet another tale of... of rampant capitalism destroying everything around us like i not really I, I don't and again not that i totally disagree with it i i do see this sort of idea of oh we're taking we're taking this to the nth degree and we're gonna sell toys and and tickets and all these kinds of things which by the way they do that today and <laughs> but uh yeah i i just i i don't see that as being you know, themes one or two, I see it being more like themes like four or five. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent agreed. Um, one thing that I think is interesting that I don't necessarily think gets talked about enough when, when we're talking about the, um, the themes of the movie is I think that there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of subtext between what's going on with Hammond creating the dinosaurs and what's going on with um, Dr. Grant and the kids where I think it could be interpreted. uh, I don't know that I would necessarily go so far as to say that this is what the movie is about, but I could definitely see again that there is subtext here and um, it's that, Dr. Grant initially has good intentions for uh, with that scene with the kid at the very beginning. He has good intentions of saying, hey, respect, you know, dinosaurs or respect nature because it could have fucked you up. Right. Um, And then by the end, he's kind of like softened and understood like that is kind of like a scary situation to like, you probably shouldn't be trying to tell kids the dinosaurs would fucking, you know, rip their guts out and eat them while you're still alive. <laughs> uh, and it, it is paralleled with like the idea that Hammond understands by the end that, unrestrained ambition in regards to what he's doing with the dinosaurs. I, I feel like those two things parallel where Hammond has created something and he doesn't really know what he's doing with it. He has no sense of responsibility. And I think that like Dr. Grant has not created anything because he knows he can't handle the responsibility, but by the end he kind of has come to understand it's something that he could potentially handle. And it is something that like he's gained like respect for. He's sort of seen the balance. Yes. Yeah. Whereas like both, like both are acting in like Grant's more draconian versus Hammond being way more free form or like free spirited Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. I wanted to bring that up just to see, like, if you 
caught any of that in your like I know that we were talking you said that you hadn't seen it in a couple of years so um, for, for me I mean that the I think the through line to Hammond for me is more apparent whereas you know that that sort of and I guess Grant is is definitely that character but I never I never took him to be that type of person um, mm-hmm. but I do see it you know it, the the allegories to it are, are apparent but um not the first time through or or even the second time right to, to get more of that like we shouldn't have done this even though it, it I'm, I'm sure there are there are areas where it's definitely definitely more apparent where grant is like and and there are right he's he's definitely like this is this was a bad idea <laughs> so. yeah yeah um I think that that's all that I had in regards to the writing of the movie. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up? I think the one thing that I would just draw attention to with, with the writing and, and your, your, um, your take on the book versus the movie. I, I think the toned down violence in this is something to, to note because I, I will say, and, and I'll probably just bring it up here and then we'll, we'll leave it be, but the amount of toys and properties <laughs> that came out like you you probably could not be as violent in 1993 with this because at some point somebody you know whether it was hasbro or mattel whoever were making the toys at some point they were like listen we can't sell dinosaur toys if every scene in this movie is somebody getting violently murdered by mm-hmm. them right like I, I do think that at some point you walk away from Jurassic Park saying you could definitely make a lot of money off of this property with children's toys, with, um, you know, even if they were going to do like cartoons or something like that, there, there are ways to make this more appealing. Cause of course, you know, kids love dinosaurs. So it makes a lot of sense for them to, to go in that direction. But I think that might be one of the reasons why maybe the violence got toned down was to say like you know if this property is going to appeal to kids we got to make it somewhat you know we could definitely make it scary and entertaining but we can't make it hyper violent but that's yeah. that's all i wanted to just comment on yeah for sure for sure i, I think you're 100 percent correct with that um all right so let's move on to the production design um i i can't say much about the sets I don't think because honestly, most of the sets to Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, so there is that, (laughs) but, uh, no, I, I feel like a lot of the movie takes place outdoors. Um, and some of those could be sets, but I know that they filmed a lot of outdoor stuff. So I, I don't necessarily think that there's much to talk about there other than maybe the, Tyrannosaurus sequence with the, um, with the, the, not vans, the like SUVs. Right. Um, When they're on that track, when they're on that, like almost monorailish kind of track. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Cause that, that part, uh, was shot inside the, if I'm not mistaken, it was shot in the Warner brothers back lot. Uh, they had uh, rented out like one of the warehouses and shot that sequence there. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, do you, do you have anything to say about the the set design? I, I will say, I mean, it definitely is something that is still talked about to this day. If you go to Hawaii, um, mm-hmm. they will bring up Jurassic Park. They they will, okay. you know, if they if you are doing tours of things like, especially on um, uh, Maui, or I know I know they did a lot of shooting in Kauai too, but um, it really not that it put. I'm not going to say it put Hawaii on the map, like. But it is definitely a pride point for there to for them to say like yeah they they filmed a lot of Jurassic Park here <laughs> and it's it is sort of cool because you do get that this idea of like yes it, Jurassic Park would be this sort of tropical destination right like this remote area of the world and and Hawaii is kind of that right it is mm-hmm. very remote it's far away from a lot of things and and the islands while some of them are very developed others are just you know very undeveloped they're just still you know pieces of nature so i think it is really cool that they were able to shoot there and sort of make this movie come to life with really um vivid scenery so i I think it's really cool from that regard yeah yeah i agree what when we i mean one of the things that we had planned on doing um when we when we go on our Hawaii trip is we're going to visit some of those, uh, places. I, I think there's like a, a whole little tour that you can go on that shows oh, all I, the shooting locations, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. Like again, they, they are, they will point out to you, you know, lo- either locals or, or guides will say like, if you remember, if you've seen the opening scene of Jurassic park, it was filmed right here. You know, like they'll do, they'll do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, which is really cool. It, again, it's really, really cool to see that they, they still have that kind of homage for for a movie that um, is so well revered, right? They they pay homage to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, the, that's the only thing I I had for set design, but costume design. Uh, how do you feel about that? Because one of the things that I thought about when I was watching it this time with kind of like fresh eyes. Cause I had seen, I mean, I've seen this movie a, a f- probably a hundred times. I mean, I used to watch it again as a child all the time. And as like a person who was growing up and kind of like studying movies and stuff like that, like Jurassic park was one of those ones that like I was always thinking about. And, um, I, I but I haven't seen it until very recently, you know, because I watched it for this. I hadn't seen it in, uh, I'd probably say like a good three or four years. Um, it, it had been a while, and one of the things that like kind of immediately stuck out to me was having Malcolm dressed in all black, and then having um, Hammond in all white. <laughs> just kind of like those two diametrically opposed forces. I thought that that was really fun. Like, uh, almost it's, I mean, it's not subtle, right? It's, it's not subtle, but almost subtle sort of nod that they are, you know, opposing forces in this. And I mean, damn, did Jeff Goldblum look good? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he looked great. Uh, the, the other thing I would say too, to this, and it's just, it, looking back it's maybe a little comical 
but like the amount of clothing that had pockets on it and very like <laughs> Dr. Livingston kind of like garb. It was I mean the these were researchers, right? They were dressed as like researchers. I think the the other thing too, Grant with his with the hat and like the the scarf or ascot or whatever you want to call it, but very like I've never met many archaeologists in my life, but that's exactly how I would picture them dressing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah, it's very I feel like naturalistic um, the way that uh, Dr. Sattler and Dr. Uh, Grant are are clothed like the like you said, like the jeans with all the pockets. And I feel like theirs is very um, the, the like it nails the sort of like blue collar worker aesthetic that that, that they all could, have. yeah that we could all agree with right like yeah. you know like grant looks like you know he could work at a bass pro shop right yeah exactly you know but <laughs> but also you could respect him because you know he was you know a top researcher and it just very um they they looked real you know they looked like they looked good i mean with the exception of Jeff Goldblum being this sort of like proto goth, but like, <laughs> you know, it was, it was definitely, you knew that these people were scientists. You knew these people cared. Mm. Yeah. 100%. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to talk about with, uh, and I put it under production design, but I think it could probably easily go in directing and editing as well uh is is the cgi um this is one of the first movies to use the sort of like cgi technology that ilm had been working on for i mean forever Uh, obviously you know cgi stuff goes back all the way to like I, i mean even before tron tron was kind of the one that sort of popped popularized it but like it it still was very much in its infancy until jurassic park and ilm uh industrial light and magic was the the team who was working on it um and they were definitely seen as like masters of their craft for sure uh and my my question to you is Obviously, in 1993, it looked incredible, you know, uh, but my question is, in 2022, or, you know, whenever the last time you saw it was, uh, how, what were your feelings on the CGI? I think it's one of those things of, they, they still nailed it. Like, it's still, Jurassic Park holds up so well. It still looks very, very good. Um... Is it the pinnacle of CGI? Maybe not, but I think it's just one of those things where they they went for the aesthetic that they're going for, and I think they really captured a lot of, you know, they, they captured that image very well. I still think mm-hmm. the CGI holds up today. Yeah, I that was my thought as well. Like, the... Even the... So... I feel like all of the CGI still is like, I I feel like it's all really, really fucking well done. And it's absurd that this was like shown in 1993, but the very first thing we see 
with um in, in terms of the CGI is the the Brachiosaurus. Mm-hmm. And it is probably the least impressive of the CGI, in my opinion. But it's still 100%, like, with the exception of it, like, appearing, like, a little bit too slick. I feel like it still is 100% believable. I I don't know what it is that makes it so just outstanding. But, like, it's been... It'll be a full... 30 years, right? Next year. And I just watched it and it still fucking rules. I I don't know like I I don't know how the fuck they did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's still again, it's still it holds up incredibly well. Yeah. 100%. Um so the next thing uh I wanted to talk about was the sort of direction of cinematography. Jurassic Park to me feels when I think about the directing of this like a very good sister piece to Jaws. Uh and I know that that sounds maybe a little bit weird to some people, but I see a lot of I I mean it you could easily attribute this to just its Spielberg style or whatever and that would probably be accurate. I think that would probably hold true but like you look at Schindler's List from this same exact year and it's a completely different movie than what Jurassic Park is but it's the same director you know what I mean yeah um, and I, I love like the way that you describe you know being a sister piece to Jaws like that's I'm really intrigued by what you have to say on that because I, I I think I'm drawing the conclusions by what you're saying but i'd love for you to like you know flesh more of that out i want to hear more about that yeah well a lot of the stuff that i see that i i noticed on this watch was there's a lot of little nice like uh how do i want to put this like um there's obviously there's very dynamic moving with the camera like spielberg loves shooting one shots or, or like one shot takes that are like really not showy at all. And one of my favorite ones is the scene that is, it, I don't know what this man was smoking in 1974, 1975 when he was doing Jaws, but the one shot that was incredibly complicated is the shot that is, it's following uh, Sheriff Brody as he goes out on this little like fairy thing and he's talking to the, uh, I think it's like the, the city council guys, he's talking to the mayor and like it goes in and it's all in one take and it kind of moves around this skinny little barge moves across the water and then gets to the other side. And it's like, you would never think to yourself, Oh, well this was just, you know, this was one shot, whatever because it doesn't bring attention to itself. And I feel like a lot of the camera movement in Jurassic Park does the same exact thing while also still being like, bro, what, like, how the fuck did you do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about like, you know, the dinosaurs having a lot of teeth and jaws having a lot of teeth. 
yeah i mean there there is that too obviously (laughs) (laughs) um that's that's really cool to to see and and notice that level of like nuance that you can that you can see between these movies And, and if you think about it right like jaws in a way is a monster movie mm-hmm. jurassic park in a lot of ways you could constitute as like a, a monster movie so like mm-hmm. you probably you know as somebody who's thinking about this like okay what 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 arrows do i have in the quiver to really nail this to make it dynamic or to make this really work for me as a director like i think that's that's interesting stuff to to pull apart and, and kind of see the mirroring between these two movies yeah yeah and and i mean there's other stuff too that's very like it not even necessarily like the way that camera angles are are shown or anything like that but like even down to like i mean this could be you know put to the the editing of things but like so in jaws you don't see the shark like actually see the shark like until like I, I mean it's damn near the end of the movie right like it's it's at least an hour and a half in before you see the shark and the f- the first time that you see like a quote-unquote proper dinosaur with the exception of the brachiosaurus right is that triceratops scene which is almost an hour into the movie like it it holds off on showing you the quote unquote monsters until it like absolutely has to. And it's really restrained in that way. Whereas I feel like you watch like, you know, Jurassic world and it's immediately trying to be like, look, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a, I'm going to draw a a similarity here, but the, the way even, with the triceratops you're seeing it and it's a most like benign moment yeah right yeah like, exactly it's sick it's not even like you know it's not grazing or like just stand like standing there it's it's sick the the way i would i would also kind of draw the conclusions here is is with star wars right mm. and you think about a new hope and the way that that movie opens and you think about the the way that those those the way that those movies flow, they definitely save those best moments for last. Whereas the Phantom Menace opens with light. Like the first thing is a lightsaber, right? Like, Oh, here's the most iconic star Wars thing. And it's a lightsaber. You know, it's that kind of like, do we really need to be hit over the head that much with the iconography from these movies? (laughs) Like, no, you don't. Yeah. You know, you don't, you, we are, we know this is a dinosaur movie. Dinosaurs will show up, right? Yeah. But let's set, let's paint the picture now. Let's set the scene now for like what amazing things could happen next or what terrible things could happen next. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up in this conversation was I, I definitely wanted to talk about Dean Cundy's work here uh, as cinematographer Dean Cundy um, worked on Halloween, which is where I first became familiar with his name. And I think that a lot of the stuff here 
in terms of like the way things are lit and the way that like there is just I don't want to say fog, but like there's like atmosphere dripping out of these these shots where like I think again I I don't want to be like too hard on some of these more like um newer movies <laughs> but like these newer movies don't fucking look like this yeah. like there's something about the way that this movie is shot in particular that is just very very like oh man this is beautiful this is compelling like it's something that like you can look at and be like this looks aesthetically pleasing yet they, um, they turned nature into a character mm-hmm. oh 100 percent, 100 percent. uh i was actually reading somewhere since you brought that up uh that they actually um used some of the there was like a real uh storm that passed over hawaii while they were shooting there and some of the shots where you see like the storm coming in and stuff like that is actually stuff that they shot as the storm was coming uh, into their set. That's they had to cool. shut down the set like the entire day, but they used some of the footage of it coming in, which is, I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. Which again is like to, to get back to like the setting, right? Like that's so true for that area of the world where storms just happen, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like capture that in, in real time. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, where are we at? Okay, you we're, we're get here. Into editing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the next thing that I I definitely wanted to bring up is I always feel like this movie just flies by. I mean, how do you how do you feel about the the pacing of this movie? I, so it's funny because I, I when I pulled it up, I didn't realize how long this movie was. It's one hundred twenty six yeah, right? minutes. It does not feel like a two hour movie. It does no, not, not at, all. at all. And it, I think it moves. The pacing of this movie is very. It's it's I I would say it's very summer blockbuster, right? It's very action yeah. oriented. You, you you paint this picture in the beginning. You meet these very fun characters. And then, you know, acts two and three are very chock full of excitement and, want, and, and you know, like what's going to happen around the corner sort of moments. Um, I think it, it, it has the pacing that makes very much sense for what it's going for. Like, it's got almost that, in a lot of ways, it's got that horror movie pacing you get a lot of like the what could possibly go wrong and then the rest of the movie <laughs> is is how do we get away from ensuing danger yeah a hundred percent and uh another thing i wanted to bring up with with regards to the editing is i think that there is a really good job done paying attention to just like minor things like when you would switch between like a CGI Velociraptor and one of the more practical, like uh, I, I think they did not necessarily a full blown thing the same way that they did with a T-Rex, but like they definitely had some more practical effects 
for the Raptors in there. And the switching between like the CGI stuff and the more practical effects, like the editing there is seamless in my opinion. I don't know that that's, well, that's a good point to bring up too, is the the idea of, and, and I would assume that it's still like nascent at this time, but the idea of ensuring that, you know, the, the, the reality isn't broken, right? Where yeah. you're looking at something that is clearly, that could be clearly taken as like, oh, this is, this was animated through a machine versus, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is a real, like this, this is living in the space where these people are acting. I, yeah. I think there's a lot, a lot of credit has to be given there. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent agreed with that. Um, all right. The next thing we have to talk about, <laughs> do you want to start on this one? I feel like, I, I feel like you're going to gush about this a lot. So let, why don't, why don't you take well, this one to start? Well, okay. I'll, I'll actually, I'll pose this question to you first. Okay. Is this John Williams best score? Oh boy. You got to think because you know, John Williams has a long history of just absolutely iconic scores, right? Like you've got Jaws, you've got Star Wars, you've got uh you know, he did the work for uh ET Superman. Uh I think he did the first two or three Harry Potter movies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the dude is just he's prolific and has Definitely, uh, I, I, I mean, given us some of the best scores ever, but is this his best one? He, he, he's just one of the, and Spielberg is one of these guys too, but they, they make it look easy. Um, is it his best? Best is a strong word. I, I would say I, the word I would use is iconic. Right, but that's also that's also tough to even say too, because I feel like Jaws is very iconic. In in its once you hear it, you you immediately think of Jaws, mm-hmm. you immediately have that sense of dread. Whereas once you hear the theme for Jurassic Park, you know immediately that it's Jurassic Park, right? You, oh yeah, you have this. It's it's extremely iconic. Um, is it his best? I mean, it's it is. There's sort of this, once you hear the theme of Jurassic Park, you are instantly kind of taken into the 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 amount of wonder that mm-hmm. is Jurassic Park, right? You almost kind of get teary-eyed. You're like, oh, I kind of do wish there was dinosaurs <laughs> still roaming the earth. But I don't know. I mean, it that, that's such a tough question. Um, what do you think? Are, are, I, I mean, do you feel that it's... I think it is. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, I think that it is his. I, I think that it is his most iconic. You know, obviously, you know, you hear Imperial March, and it's like, oh, Star Star Wars. You know, but like, I think that some of the more subtle tracks in Star Wars, people don't like necessarily remember as strong as like the themes for like, like, like I said, the Imperial March, or um, even that opening, the you know, the scrawl. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I think that there are several different pieces of iconic music in Star Wars, but I think every single, like, for lack of a better term, song in Jurassic Park is memorable. 
extremely. I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I can't think of another one that I would immediately put up there with it. Maybe Star Wars. Like, yeah. maybe Star Wars. But everything else is just kind of like, uh, yeah, this is John Williams. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. right. You, and again, like, it's that, that thing of like, I, I kind of said, like, he makes it easy. But I, I, you got to wonder, like, how this guy thinks of sort, sort of how to, how, to, how to express this through the majesty of song kind of thing. But when he looks at some of these things and thinks, okay, this is, this is the way that I would structure a theme to go along with, with this, you know, depiction, right? Where it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's absolutely, it's brilliant in a lot of ways, right? It's, it's extremely brilliant, but he, he, I think it's definitely one of those. If you hear it, you know, exactly. You are transported to Jurassic Park, right? Once yeah. you hear it, you're, you're immediately like, Oh, of course. Like, but damn, is that guy good at making music? <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, I was actually just looking this up. So he has been nominated for, uh, God damn, how many Academy Awards? Uh, I don't want to have to go. F- he has been nominated for 52 Academy Awards. That's they, fucking insane. <laughs> and they say, they say it's an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> right? Oh, I, and he's won, he's won five. Uh, the last one that he won was... The Schindler's List score. So, I mean, it's been a while since he's won, but like, I almost feel like they—they're like, we're going to nominate you, but we're not going to give you the win because, like, bro, you're—you've been nominated like fifty-six times. It's, it's <laughs> or fifty-two, like, right? Like, it's like Tom Hanks at some point. Like, you, like, come on, like, there's there are other people that act. <laughs> you know. <Right>. Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, the only thing, like I said, that I, I, uh, would add here is, like I said, every single theme in this is memorable to me. The theme, the, the quote unquote Jurassic Park theme, the, like the little, even stuff like the, um, uh, I, I don't know what the, the name of it is, but like, you know, the scene where they're driving up after they've just noticed the, um, or after they've just seen the Brachiosaurus where they're driving up to the, the quote unquote compound or whatever. Like even that, like that little piece, I'll sometimes get stuck in my head for like no reason. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I don't know. It's just, this score is flawless. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I guess the last thing we should do is we should get into the characters and the acting. Um, I wanted to bring up a few of these li- little, like, small role cast members first, and we could just talk about, you know, uh, maybe I I don't know what we would say about them because they're they are so small. But like, you have B D Wong as Doctor Wu. Um, and I, I bring him up because he has now become a like uh, a big gay icon, and has like had a pretty long career. Uh, yeah, he was in Law and Order, 
uh, special victims unit, I believe. Um, he was in Gotham. You know, he's had a, a pretty storied career. Um, I think he's fine in the movie. He gets like one scene, so I don't think there's much to say. Uh, I did want to bring up him in particular, though, because he gets brought back in the Jurassic Worlds, and I almost kind of like don't know why. <laughs> like it's such this, it's just this like really small role, and it's brought back because he appeared in one scene. I don't know. It just seems yeah, weird to me. It's. I think it's one of those things, of, especially with when Jurassic World came out. I think it's one of those areas of like oh well we're, we're gonna bring a character back from the original you know like to, to sort of ground it or show mm-hmm. that you know this is truly a you know a sequel or something along those lines but um yeah and and a little more prominently featured in the world series as opposed to jurassic park yeah um the next one uh, that I had was Cameron Thor as Dachshund. Um I brought him up because... Let me go back to his IMDb page. Um, I was kind of blown away by how much work he had done. Like, he was in the movie Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage. Uh, he is in A Few Good Men. He's in Hook. He's in... Um, uh, where is it at? Oh, he's in the 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 last movie actually that John Hughes uh, directed, Curly Sue. Um, yeah. So I wanted to talk about him for for just a second because he again is in one one scene, but like he's a he was a pretty well known actor for a while. Right. He had a yeah. He guy had a career. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, next one I have is Miguel Sandoval as Rostanio. Uh, again, this is a guy who I have seen in a billion things. A really not like really good character actor. Um, I always remember him from this movie. Like when people are like, eh, do you know this guy or whatever? I might not recognize the name, but I'll be like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, so-and-so from Jurassic Park. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything? To, again, like, I, I feel like he's one of those guys who's like, he's a, he's a good character actor who has, like, a million different things that people yeah. could recognize him from. But, like, I immediately am like, Oh yeah, he is the the guy who leads Gennaro around in the beginning of Jurassic Park. Yeah, and and it's just I I think one of those things of you know <laughs> good use of people who you know had had good careers, right? You know, and and yeah, yeah right right person for the right role, I think. Yeah, a hundred percent agreed. Uh, and then the last one that I had for, like I said, these small roles was I wanted to bring up Whit Hertford as the volunteer kid that Dr. Grant terrorizes. Um, this guy actually had a pr- 
pretty long career in theater uh, and has gone on to direct several stage plays. Um, but I always remember him as like, this is the kid from Jurassic Park, right? Um, <laughs> do, do, do you have anything to say about... No, I mean, on the various, you know, these smaller roles, characters, I think, again, I think, <laughs> especially for this this one, um, you know, it's just great to see sort of like this kind of, these, these good characters getting used, especially people who have, like, again, who had careers or, or went on to have really great careers from here, you know? Yeah. yeah. 100%. Uh, all right. So let's go ahead and we'll get into like the main feature roles. And I started this off with Samuel L. Jackson as Mr. Ray Arnold. Because you wanted to hold on to your butt. I wanted to hold on to my butt. 100%. Um, so Samuel L. Jackson is in this movie and in the very next year is in Pulp Fiction. And I think that in terms of like just like how do I want to put this in terms of back-to-back releases that is one hell of a pairing yeah like he goes from doing this to Pulp Fiction which is arguably Tarantino's best movie and arguably the best movie of the 90s like what a fucking insane Back leap. to back. Yeah, like, what a leap. Um, but one thing that I, I I guess I would bring up with with this is, obviously, he's known for, you know, his uh, astoundingly wonderful use of expletives. <laughs> um, and he's very... I actually, like, a lot of people are like, oh, Samuel L. Jackson just plays himself in every movie. I actually kind of think that he's kind of tame. In this one, like, he's still very much, like, you recognize Samuel L. Jackson, right? But, like, I don't think of him as Samuel L. Jackson in this movie, weirdly enough. He He's more, the funny thing is, he's more anxious than anything yeah, in this movie. Yeah. Like, he's not, he's not, like, he doesn't play a character who's just, like, overtly angry. He's... He's more like, you know, he, he rolls his eyes at a lot of things in this movie. Like, like this is a bad... He, he's the voice of reason, right? Like, he's yeah. saying, like, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. And he rolls his eyes as he, like, begrudgingly, you know, follows through or follows orders. I think he's he's probably one of the more human people of this group where he's, yeah. he's kind of sitting there saying, like, you realize this is, these are dinosaurs, right? <laughs> it's so... it really is so weird to to think about because like again you th- you think of about him and he's loud and reactionary and like always like a- again like screaming but like in this like you said he's very reserved and very like uh i, I don't want to say calm because there are definitely parts where he's like you know kind of like the 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 scene i'm thinking of in particular is where he's like please god damn it you know yeah but like for the most part he's very like he, he's the voice of reason like you said and i just don't ever think of samuel l jackson as playing that sort of role you know what yeah. i mean 
Yeah, and and even even to that degree, like he he sees through a lot of like Nedry's like BS bullshit. Yeah, yeah, like he just he like he knows that this guy's an opportunist. You know, he he again he he's very level headed in this movie, and way again way more anxious I think than anything. Not like yeah. He's not again. He's it's not like Deep Blue Sea where he's just like barking orders and then a shark eats him. But he's he's way more like he's definitely way more reserved. And yeah, again, see, to your point too. Like the the following year, he does he's in Pulp Fiction, and yeah, he's just you know spouting out line after line from that movie. He's just so quotable. But even in that movie. Like is is he somebody super angry throughout that entire movie? Not really. He's he's sort of like he's a man on a mission, and he he sort of reforms at the end, right? He, he yeah. sees the errors in his of his ways, and he's like, I'm going to take the step back, and I'm not going to do this, and and choosing that's probably going to make me live, <laughs> as opposed to, yeah, as opposed to anything else. So I I, I think he does a damn good job in this. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the next character that I would like to move on to is, uh, we have Martin Ferrero as Donald Gennaro. Um, <laughs> and I mean, come on, like how this do guy. you not, yeah, like ex- that is the 110% way to describe this guy from this movie is this guy. And it, I mean that suit, like that is the most '90s ass suit you could ever wear. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my god. So uh, this guy, I actually always get him confused with. Uh, I think his name is Jonathan Price, um, or Vincent Price. You're thinking of. Y- yes, that's the, that's the, the one, vampire you know. guy. Like... Um, <laughs> no, uh, he's the guy who was in the two popes. Um, uh, God, he's in a million things. Let me see. His name is yes, Jonathan Price, and oh, Jonathan Price was. He's in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh yes, uh, movies. you're right. Yeah, I no, I'm <laughs> Vincent Price. Um, yes, Jonathan Price. I know you're exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, so in my mind, I always when I think of Jurassic Park, I always just put this guy in Gennaro's spot. Okay. And I always just think, yeah, that that dude's a really great actor. Hey, he was, you know. He's nominated for Academy Awards in the two popes and whatever. But that is not the case nope. um, at all. This guy, Martin Ferrero, was he was a regular on Miami Vice um, for a real long time. And uh, he was on, I think, like, he, he had some uh, appearances on, like, I think he was on Cheers maybe at one point. Um, but... He has really small roles in a bunch of movies from like 86 up to about like 95. But I don't, I mean, this guy is really funny in the role. I think he provides some of the best comic relief uh, in the movie. But I, 
I I mean that's that's all I can really say about him because I don't I mean I don't know this other guy's work all that much to be honest with you. I mean let's face it, right? I mean that he is he's the guy that gets eaten off of a toilet. Yeah, you know, right? Like that is that is what he goes down as. I forget exactly. He's okay, so he was the lawyer. Um yeah. which is I guess sort of commentary on lawyers, right? Like that <laughs> you know, they should be eaten whole by dinosaurs. But uh it's just it's extremely that era of like comedy, right? Of like, of course that guy hides in the bathroom and yeah, you know, it, the, the iconic scene of just being like devoured. Um, but yeah, he's, he is that guy. He's that guy. Yeah. He gets eaten <laughs> off a toilet. Um, yeah. Uh, next person I have written down is, um, we, Wayne Knight as Dennis Nedry. Um, what is there to say? Scoundrel, I think, is the word that comes to mind, right? <laughs> yeah, I like, obviously, Wayne Knight had his career with Seinfeld. Um, I wasn't familiar with Seinfeld until well after a hit had gone off the air. So that wasn't, like, my touchstone for Wayne Knight for a real long time. It was as... Nedry. Yeah. And he plays such a good sleaze bag, dude. I he, like he, I think he's so good in this. He's an like he is the perfect awful person. Yeah, yeah. Man. He just uh, there's something about him in this movie where he just oozes like I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> and that's You know like, what I mean? Yeah, and like opposite Samuel L. Jackson, right? Where where again he sees through he sees through his nonsense and he's just like, like almost to a degree of like, I don't ex- exactly understand why you're here, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and he just is, he's roadblock after roadblock. Like he is just constantly messing things up for everyone or just saying no. Like he's that guy at work where everybody's like full steam ahead. Right. And then he raises his hand and is like, actually we can't. Like that's Nedry in, <laughs> yeah, in, in yeah. like a nutshell, but um, just complete opportunist, uh, opportunist, complete like just scoundrel, and he's sort of like his his ending, which I I don't think is it ever he gets eaten alive, right? Is that yeah? I yeah, I like, have to assume that that's what it is. Yeah, like he just that that sort of like nature taking its toll kind of thing but yeah the way i mean he runs in front of that one spitting dinosaur that everybody wanted the toy of he and, and just <laughs> that thing that thing just lights him up and it's yeah. sort of this like perfect end to this jerk's life right like it's yeah just, where do you think you're going and nature takes its toll but it's it's sort of he is the poetic justice that is Jurassic Park. Yeah, I I I think one of the things that they switched up with the writing is is to like Nedry was always like a bad dude in the books, but like he in a way becomes like the main villain of the movie, whereas he's just kind of like a uh, I I would say side villain in in the books, and Hammond is the is that kind of guy. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, totally. Everything we said is, I, I think, spot on. He just nails that that ability to like ooze the like you're a fucking dick. <laughs> Um, and I, I actually, you, you brought up his death scene. I think he's actually even still really good in that where he, um, you know, he really nails the, the terror of like being attacked. I, I, I really think that he nails that scene. Yeah. Um, he's just, he's perfectly, he, he's the perfect jerk. Yeah. 100%. Hundred percent, and I, I do I do love the idea that he like coded basically coded himself into the, the technology to do that. Uh uh uh, like that. Yeah. Like that stuff is just like <laughs> like of course he did that. Of course yep. that guy would he wouldn't do his own work, but he would do the work to make that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, all right, let's move on to, uh, the, the kids. We'll go with Ariana Richards as Lex Murphy first. Uh, and I, I bring her up first because I feel like she has a little bit less to do, uh, than, um, Tim. I kind of feel like she is the 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 screen queen of this movie where she isn't really necessarily given much to do other than like scream as bad things are happening um like she doesn't have much of a character I should say that that's kind of like what I'm getting at but I think she's really good uh she really sells I think the the scares really well and the scene near the end of the movie where Tim is electrocuted on the fence and she's like kind of pacing back and forth and crying. Like, I think that scene is really, really effective because of her. Um, I don't know. What do you, what are, what are your thoughts? The thing I would add to that, cause I think you nailed it. The thing, the thing I would add to that, very good scream, like a mm, very mm-hmm. good, like, you know, horrifying, like I am a kid in terror scream. Yeah. One hundred percent. Her scream, uh, that scream in Jurassic Park. I, I promise you, you put that up against like screams from any other horror movie. I guarantee you, I could pick it out. Like it's, it is a very good, very, uh, I guess iconic would be the way to put it. Scream. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um. But we okay. So we brought up, uh, you know, her. Uh, she has the little brother. Tim, who's played by Joe, uh, Joseph, um, I, I hope I'm saying this right, Mazzello. Probably. Um, so I put him next because, again, he has a little bit more to do. He has a little bit more of a character. But also, he has had a much longer career. She actually, I think her, she had stopped acting in the late nineties, I think maybe early two thousands. Let me look at this again. Um, yeah, like she did, uh, she had a cameo in the lost world and then she was in trimmers three back in 2001. Then, then nothing for a while made a, uh, a quick little like movie in 2013 and then hasn't really done much of anything since. 
But Joseph Mazzello, on the other hand, has become has kind of become like a uh, I don't want to say like a a character actor, but like he's still working pretty regularly. He was in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as the bassist uh, John Deacon. Um, he was in the social network as one of, uh, what's his dick? Um, who's the Facebook guy? Zuckerberg yeah. as one of Zuckerberg's friends. Uh, yeah, he's had like a, a really long and, and relatively successful career. Um, I don't, what are your, what are your thoughts on him in the movie? I, it's hilarious that you said, cause, uh, it is wild to see somebody go off from there as like child actor and not get talked about as like a crazy person later in life. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I think I think he embodies a lot of like who we all were at nineteen, like especially you know being thirty five or thirty four or whatever, mid thirties. He's he is the kid that we were, right? Like he's oh, yeah. the kid that that goes in and is like, like fascinated by dinosaurs, and and you sort of need that in this movie to bring it back down because at some point, you know, if you're an adult seeing this movie, you're like, oh, of course, like this is you know this is wild and this is crazy, but like, we, you know, as as boys, and I feel like and as girls too, like dinosaurs are awesome right it's it's so cool they're so Mm -hmm. cool they're gigantic beasts that you know used to roam the earth and they're they're awesome um he he's the kid that sort of embodies that right he's the kid that's sitting there and saying all of this stuff is so cool i love all of this stuff i can't wait to see it he's like the he's the i guess if you had to say it like he's the test audience for this whole thing yeah. Right. Like, yeah. if this kid loves it, every kid in America or or across the world is gonna love it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I so when I I mean, you kind of nailed that for me because when I was a kid, he he was like, I I don't want to say he was the audience surrogate for me, but like I always identified with Tim. Like I was, I was like, I was that kid. I was the one who was like all about the dinosaurs and I wanted to know every little thing. And I would like read books and like, I I would research dinosaurs. Like that's just what I did. And, um, uh, he really, when I remember watching it as a kid, it being a thing where I was like, I am him. He is me, whatever. Um, and then I think, watching it now he's supposed to be like the i don't want to say he's supposed to be like the annoying kid because i i don't think that that's necessarily accurate but i would say that he um how do i want to put this i think people could definitely be like oh yeah he's the annoying kid but i never get that from him in this he's a little precocious but i never really think of him as as annoying in this do you like that that little brother like oh i have to drag my kid brother around kind of thing yeah yeah i I don't i mean the kid tells great jokes i'll say that (laughs) um 
I, I don't really get a lot of it. He's definitely the, like, he's a little bit of, like, damsel in distress kind of thing because he's the one that could possibly get, like, eaten. And I guess the sister is, too, in, in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. that what that scene where they're they're ducking through the, the kitchen cabinets trying to avoid the raptor, like, that's, it's harrowing in a lot of ways. Like, how are these kids going to escape? Which also, like, in the Lost World where mm-hmm. you know like the gymnastics of like that whole <laughs> scene like it the parallels to that are insane to me because like the the kids hiding in kitchen cabinets makes a ton of sense versus the yeah. other movie it, it's like so it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah it's like that's like the most marvel movie thing that you could ever see but um yeah i, I don't get a ton of that sort of kid brother-esque-ness to him. Again, it's probably there, and I'm sure a lot of people would roll their eyes at it, but that's exactly who he is. Like, that's, that's, that's who he is. Mm -hmm. He's, he's every kid brother. And to that degree, he's also every kid that's like fascinated by what he sees. He's sort of like the Hammond, but age appropriate, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, hundred percent agreed. Um, okay, yeah, let's uh, let's move on to Richard Attenborough as John Hammond. Um, one of the things that I I you know brought up with like being a difference between the books uh, is that he's very much a uh, for lack of a better term child. Uh, at the very least, he's wide-eyed and and bushy-tailed uh, in this movie. Um, and I wanted to see what your thoughts were on this because uh, I think he nails that sense of. Uh, I mean, I, I what wide-eyed, imaginative, like. Uh, earnest was the word you used earlier. Like, I think that he absolutely nails that. And I, I love him in this. Uh, I've seen a bunch of his older work. Um, and I've actually seen, I I think I may have actually seen more of his, um, his directorial stuff than I have actually some of his, his acting. Like I've seen, um, Young Winston, I've seen Magic, I've seen Gandhi, I've seen Chaplin, Shadowlands. Uh, I've seen a bunch of his directorial stuff where he isn't necessarily in it. But, um, yeah, anyway, sorry, that got weird for a second. Um, what are what are your thoughts on, on Richard Attenborough? I So I didn't realize this. He's the brother of David Attenborough. That is correct. Yeah, that is correct. The, the voice of every BBC nature, anything, anything to do with planet Earth, David Attenborough is like the, he's the voice of it. Um, whereas we get Sigourney Weaver, which I actually like Sigourney Weaver's narration on things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that <laughs> David Attenborough is the, like the real naturalist, where whereas Richard Attenborough is the, Fake <laughs> the fake actor. one <laughs> yeah right um he I, I think we i think we said a lot on him 
and I do I do get that sense of like he he's got this earnest feel to him that he wants to be able to to provide this he wants to provide this service for humanity to to mm-hmm. show humanity what what nature was millions of years ago and he's got the means to do it and he he like in even when he says like there like when he's in the helicopter like he's so excited about this whole yeah. endeavor he's so excited and like i said like age appropriate right like he should be the little kid in there jumping up and down like oh i can't wait i can't wait to to see all of this and experience it but he definitely doesn't lose any of that charm up until of course the end where he's like this was a terrible mistake but yeah and even when he's sort of recognizing the errors of his ways and he is sort of like he's got this like almost penance to him where he's Mm -hmm. looking for forgiveness um and they certainly don't forgive him (laughs) they they certainly (laughs) they certainly like ian malcolm is definitely like your you made a horrible horrible mistake um he shows a ton like he shows a ton of emotion like a a range Mm -hmm. of emotion throughout this movie and i think that's that's good for that character because it yeah. shows that sort of growth of I did fly too close to the sun, and when I landed in the ocean, I I really learned my lesson here. The problem with yeah. learning your lesson with Jurassic Park is the fact that people die. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it, he he shows a ton of emotion, and I I think it's really good. F- it's good storytelling in that. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um. Okay. Everybody loves him. We we all we all love him. We have Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Ian Malcolm. Um <clears throat> I feel like the opposite of Samuel L. Jackson should be said here. Whereas I you know, everyone says Samuel L. Jackson just plays himself in every movie and I don't think that is the case for, for this. Je- everyone says Jeff Goldblum plays himself in every movie. I think that, that is one hundred percent the case with him here. He's Jeff Jeff Goldblum, and I love it. Uh, I don't think that there's anything particularly bad about the fact that he doesn't do anything with the character because he is so charismatic that, like, I I mean, when he's on screen, it's it's amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and his his quirkiness kind of shines in yeah. a lot of ways. Like he he's a quirky scientist, right? Like yep. and and the thing that I think is just really fascinating about this, especially cuz it's Jeff Goldblum, was like I mean, the dude was in shape. He was yeah. in shape. Like he was in you know, like he was not seen as like a you know, this like he was almost seen as more of like this rock star scientist. And Mhm throughout this movie and i think in the, in you know leading up into like stuff like independence day he was definitely seen as one of those like here's a, like the hollywood hot guy you know <laughs> like jeff <Yeah>. goldblum <laughs> whereas now he's definitely i mean you look at the roles that he takes now like even in thor right like in ragnarok yeah. he plays the grandmaster and he's you know he's, he is dialing it up 
right? He's 100% yeah. dialing it up. But even in this movie, he's got this, like, quirky charm to him, and it totally works. Like, you know, he's he's the rock star scientist. He doesn't show up in a lab coat. He shows up in a leather jacket, you know? Like, he's got that, like, again, like you said, it charisma, which I think is really good. But I, I, do you have anything else to say? I don't know. I, I kind of want to talk about Jeff Goldblum a lot. <laughs> uh, I... No, the only thing I mean I would add is uh, I know that people probably already know this, but he's extremely tall, and you really get this sense. Like it almost destroys the sense of scale in the movie when you see him standing next to the pile of shit because of how tall he is. <laughs> but, That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I I don't have much to say about him because, uh, like I said, I I actually think that he has over time become the Jeff Goldblum that we all know. Because if you go back and watch like Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978, he's got a supporting role in that. He's he's not one of the main actors, but like he very much is a different actor in that where he I think is almost trying to act. But by the time that you get past the fly in eighty six he has definitely become much more of it, much more the the Jeff Goldblum that we all know. Um, it's yeah. always there, but like, but it has become like, um, I don't want to say like it's like he bought into his own hype because I just I don't think that that's true. I don't think that like he he in very fly esque he got comfortable in his own skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that is kind of like where he is now, where. Everybody's just like, oh yeah, it's Jeff Goldblum. He's playing himself, and he and again he dials it up to like you know eleven or whatever. But yeah, I mean, the, just some of the like the lines, you know, and and he he also plays that like he's very sarcastic in this movie, right? Where like his his witticisms are very like jabs. You know, he jabs at a lot of things throughout mm-hmm. this movie, but. Just the concept of him saying life finds a way, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's very, it's, it's apropos for the movie, right? Where they're, uh-huh. they're sitting there, they're sitting there saying like, how did this even happen? And you know, he's, he's kind of saying like life does find a way. Like you, you like sometimes you roll the dice and it, it works for you. But uh, he's just, he's so very like, I, I feel he's very appropriate in this movie. Where, yeah. whereas Samuel Jackson is the voice of reason, he he's the voice of sarcasm. Jeff Goldblum, where yeah. it's, it's just fantastic. The one thing that I think is so strange, though, is like half the movie he's like sitting down, like he's wounded. <laughs> you know, like he's yeah. wounded for half the movie. It's just so yeah. funny. Uh, one thing I, I will add to this, uh, and I I think that this is like a good uh thing for like. To, to, I guess, kind of show his instincts as, like, a uh, person who, like, creates characters or whatever. But um, originally in the book, Malcolm runs away from the T-Rex because he's scared. But he and Spielberg both kind of came up with on the set that, like, he should try to be as heroic as uh, Grant in that sequence. And that's what ends up causing him his injury. And that actually in turn changed his character from dying in the books to becoming like 
a, a survivor by the end of the movie here. Yeah, like he, so, he earned his purple heart kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, oh, did we did we skip Muldoon? Oh, we did. Oh man, my bad. That I, was that was all on me. I want to take this Bob Peck as Robert Muldoon. Muldoon was easily one of my favorite characters. He's just oh the yeah, most like he is just the most crocodile Dundee. Like, just, you know, like, oh, we're, we're in here and you're going to pay attention. You know, like, just very, like, security guard to the most security guard-esque, right? He's the epitome of security guard. And I think yeah. I think him, he's he's definitely, whereas in the, in the later movies now, where, like, almost Chris Pratt is kind of the Muldoon-esque guy, mm-hmm. but they've changed that to mean that, oh, the the badass human can outsmart and even teach dinosaurs. Whereas Muldoon was like, he's the most badass guy on the Island, right? He's the hunter and he's the one getting hunted, right? Even the the dinosaurs can take him out. And I think that's just, it's, it's so annoying that he gets done in the way that he gets done in, but it also is kind of fitting that he goes down as like a hunter right he's yeah. best, he's bested by nature again but um his i mean that line just is just so iconic yeah and i think he you know it's it's the line that gets remembered more than the man but, oh yeah uh, i love i loved Muldoon. he was just I, so great i 100 percent agree i yeah i mean everything that you said is, is correct like uh and it's even like I even love the the scenes with him in it that are kind of like um not necessarily action oriented like the stuff with him in the office when you know Samuel L. Jackson and and Nedry are going back and forth right like the stuff with him there where he's like everyone be quiet they're approaching the ten- tyrannosaur paddock or whatever like he just commands like your eyes like he yeah you're so drawn to him and he has i mean he has a relatively small role he's in what maybe like five or six scenes but he just i mean he just steals them i i think he's exceptional as as muldoon and uh i i think you're right like i mean he was probably my favorite character I, I, he's he's fantastic. Yeah, and he, I mean, look, he was the action figure everybody wanted. You oh, know? yeah. Like, everybody <laughs> wanted Muldoon. Because um, he was the, like, he was supposed to be the guy that could definitely take these things down. Mm-hmm. You know? And he just, they, they got the best of him. But. Unfortunately. He had that shotgun. I mean, like, he, he meant business. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, let's move on to Laura Dern as Ellie Sattler. Um, there's been a thing going around. Uh, Kayla just um, just uh, told me about it the other day, but uh, she was only 23, 24 wow. when she shot Jurassic so Park. Did you know that? Uh, I I do remember her being young because when she 
took the role on the last jedi i remember people being like wow laura dern back in the new you know like that kind of yeah she's back kind of thing but yeah she was young yeah incredibly young um she was i i all this is gonna fucking probably sound weird but she was always my my crush in this movie uh i know i was like fucking like six when i was watching this but like i was always drawn to her i thought she was so pretty and um she is she has found her way into becoming an unbelievably good actress I don't think that she necessarily shows that here uh it's not that she's bad I because I don't I don't think that she's bad but I I do think that like of of the main cast members I think she has the least to do between her Grant and Malcolm right like she kind of just is there for lack of a better term. Was she the biologist? Like what was, I forget exactly. So she was the paleobotanist. So she was involved with like the plants and stuff like that. Right, right, right. But at a certain point, I almost feel like she falls off from, from the movie in, in like the middle part, like during that Tyrannosaurus sequence, she kind of like gets sidetracked and she's kind of sidetracked. I mean, she has little bits and bobs like during that segment, but like you're mostly just following Grant and the kids at that point. Yeah. And then she comes back into the picture when she has to go in and turn on the, the power, the, the power. Yeah. So like, I feel like at a certain point she's lost in there and that, maybe coloring some of my perception of like she has less to do or whatever. But, um, I think she's good. I think she's, she's perfectly good. Do you feel that she was a little damsel, like damsel in distress kind of, uh, I wouldn't say that because I, I do think that she kind of like, I mean, she gets stuck in the one sequence with the Raptor that is really horrifying. And she kind of holds her own. Um, I think that, uh, again, I think it's just a, a, like, kind of like a a lack of anything for her. Like, I don't even think that she gets the damsel role all that much. Yeah. But what do I know? I don't know. I don't know shit. She knows shit. (laughs) She does. She does. Uh, all right. And the last one on here, we have Sam Neill as dr alan grant um it's kind of hard to see sam neill as anything other than him right i mean this is so his role yeah i've i've seen him in a ton of other things like um he was in i know he's in hunt for the red october which is an excellent movie um he's actually one of the first things that i ever saw him in that wasn't uh, Jurassic Park was a little horror movie from 1981 called Possession, and he is excellent in that. He's very good in um, 
uh, what wh- what the fuck is the name of that movie with the vampires? Uh, with Ethan Hawke. Day is it Daybreakers? Interview, Interview with a vampire? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, it came out in like 2015, 2016, maybe. Or no, no, it's, it's actually even older than that. Maybe like 2011, 2012. Um, Daybreakers. Daybreakers, that's it. Uh, anyway, yeah, I like I've seen him in a in a ton of things, and he's good. Like he he's good in a lot of stuff, but he is always Doctor Grant for me. Like this is like you said, it is his role. I think he totally kills it as like the kind of like um. Uh, how how do I want to describe him? Like the the kid hater. <laughs> At the beginning, uh, and he just, he's very good throughout the entire movie. Um, I don't know, what what are your what are your thoughts? He's on... fantastic. I mean, he's just so, like, he he's definitely the guy that has the reverence for all of this stuff. He's so, like, he's so enamored by everything, and he's so skeptical, right? He is very mm-hmm. skeptical. Um, he comes into this thinking like, ah, there's no way it could happen. Like, give me a break. Um, and I think that's where I kind of confuse like his draconian, like regulatory aspect with the the idea of him just being this like constant skeptic. Um, mm. But he knows his stuff. Like Grant Grant knows everything there is to know about you know dinosaurs and that yep. era of that era of um life so he he comes into this as like the he's the perfect person to be like judging all of this as a as like it's a living museum mm-hmm. um i think he's just he, he's just fantastic in this role he just he brings the he brings the gravity of all of this together whereas like i think the kids and 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 hammond for that matter like they show the romanticism of it yeah whereas he shows like the actual gravity of it of like wow this this is a feat this this is a a step forward for humanity yeah um which is really i think is really good he shows that really well um and yeah, he's he's definitely a guy that can hold his own. Like think about think about the idea of Grant not being there and the Tyrannosaurus Rex attacking them, right? His whole yeah. his whole concept of like don't move is is insane. It's like what they tell you with a bear like when a bear comes to you, like, oh play dead. Like I, I would never think to do that, right? Like, yeah, no, I would like, run. No, I'm outrun this bear. Yeah, of course. Cause like this thousand pound animal isn't gonna catch me. But <laughs> Like that's, but he he knows, like he understands yeah. the fact that, like, yes, their their eyesight is poor. Stand still. Um, so he's definitely that like knowledge center for this whole entire thing, and I I think it's I think it's cool to see that type of knowledge met with that type of skepticism because that's that's what a good researcher does, right? They yeah. they doubt things. They try to see where the holes can be punched in this whole theory. Um, which I, I think is good character writing. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's great in this. Um, I, like I said, he's great in everything he's in. 
I really think that he is awesome in The Hunt for the Wilder People, uh, which is Taika Waititi's first feature film, I think. Um, if you haven't seen it, you really yeah. should. Um, it's with the kid from Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Sam Neill, great, great actor and very good in this. Uh, but all right, let's uh, let's get into our final thoughts. We'll give our ratings and we'll get out of here. Um, what do you want to go with for our rating? Do you want to do five Raptor Claws? Or out of five raptor claws, and you go big, right? You go to T Rexes, go, go T Rex, T Rex mud prints, maybe, or or just those jeeps. Oh yeah, yeah. There jeeps? we go. I, how many jeeps out of five? Uh, yeah. So, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on the movie? I mean, this movie still holds up, right? You could still watch this movie and get entertained. I think you could still show this movie to a kid. Or, you know, an adolescent or, or anybody at their age, right, born after 1993 and say, what did you think? And I think a lot of people would walk away and say, like, that was a good movie. You know, that that was a good movie. Um, if you couldn't tell, we both gushed over this thing. So I have a feeling this is going to be one of those, like, five Jeeps out of five Jeeps moment. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I don't think anything in the pantheon of Jurassic Park anything, right? The the movies, whatever, that Sega Genesis game that was, like, damn near impossible. Um, and was also, like, so much fun. <laughs> oh, so good, though. They were, like, first-person moments, too. It was like, crazy. Yeah, it was, was weird. Um, I, I don't think anything comes damn near close to the first one. You know, I, I've, I've seen two, two is a tra- to me, two is a travesty. Three is this weird sort of want to return to form, but also kind of strange in a lot of ways. And the new movies, I mean, the the world movies are just, I think, gross abominations of what what the first movie like tried to do. Yeah. And, and what those, what those movies try to say in a very action oriented way I don't think stands even close to what Jurassic Park is trying to do. And yeah, we're not trying, but succeeding in doing. So yeah. I think, I think for that matter, I think that's why this is, this is the best to me. This is the pinnacle of what, what, you know, what storytelling should be for, for, you know, dinosaurs or something along those lines. Right. This is the best moment, like Icarus moment, that you can get in 1993. So that's yeah. the way I'll, I'll, I'll finish that off. Okay. Yeah. You, I, I, I a hundred percent agree with everything you said, uh, especially when you compare it to those, those new ones, I could not be less excited for Jurassic world dominion. Even though I, I actually kind of think that like weirdly they've taken it into a, a neat direction with like having the dinosaurs like living with human beings or whatever um yeah nothing comes close to this nothing i i like the lost world uh as a sort of i'm getting to see dinosaurs again type thing same thing with i, I really with all of the movies i like them to some degree because it's dinosaurs and i'm still a fucking kid on the inside yeah 
absolutely nothing comes close to this movie. This is one of 35 movies that I've seen that I would call perfect. I don't, it's, yeah. I, there, there's nothing wrong with this movie. And even the stuff that I could nitpick, like, you know, they're supposed to have the 50 foot moats between the fences and where the dinosaurs are or whatever. And the moat is there when the, when the, uh, the car kind of gets flipped over the side, but how did the T-Rex walk over that? Like, okay, sure. There's a lot in logic there, but do I care? No, not even remotely. That is like the furthest thing from my mind when I'm watching that scene. I adore this movie. I think that, I mean, to to sum it up succinctly, it is it's five out of five for me, easily. I think it's perfect. I I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with this movie. It fucking rules. It ruled in '93. It still rules. It's great, great stuff. It's still it's still a fantastic movie. Yeah. <sighs> All right, that was 1993's Jurassic Park. So let's uh, let's hit the socials and then get out of here. Um, as always, you can find us on social media for all things Culture Bop, Culture Bop Selects, and the Culture Bop family of content. Culture Bop is available on Twitter at Culture underscore Bop, on Instagram at Culture underscore Bop, and on the YouTube at Culture Bop. Uh, I think this is coming out the Friday before the 11th. So... Hopefully, hopefully, the um, issues with my Stranger Things video have been cleared up and it is now available for everyone to see. Um, If not, I will be just making some edits to it, unfortunately, and it'll be up. Uh, It might actually be up before you hear this. We'll see. Um, Anyway, uh, go check that out if it is available. I am available on Twitter at the Bebopman182, on Instagram at Bebopman182, and on Twitch at the underscore Bebopman. And Justin, uh, do you want to pimp any socials? I know you've got the paper trails. Uh, we talked about on the the last episode of Hunting Pixels, but is there anything that you would like to, to pimp out? At Skyrise underscore excellence on TikTok. Ah, where yes. You can find me. I will be doing more on there video gaming related but um yeah you can follow me there um i make a i make an appearance on this week's hunting pixels so you can definitely listen in to get my my opinion on anime video games um but yeah that's pretty much it uh, i i'm a i'm a regular guest in this uh discord for culture bop and I love having conversations about movies, games, all types of things. So if you're somebody who wants to join this Discord, know that there is always a conversation going on and you can definitely join in and have fun. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's very good stuff. Um, last thing that we should do is we should pimp out the uh, the Patreon. If you're looking to support this podcast because you enjoy it so much or any of the endeavors that we're undertaking as culture pop, then go to patreoncom slash culture and toss us a pledge. We're offering some very cool perks 
And once we start hitting our goals, even more content will be on its way. We could potentially move this to a weekly podcast once we start hitting some of those goals. Potentially. Uh, same, potentially. I mean, we'll see how everything works out. But uh, the faster you guys get out to us, uh, you know, the, the faster we can do that stuff. So that's it. That's the end of this episode. It was wonderful to sit down and talk this movie with you, Justin. I'm glad to be back. Um, yeah. So, until next time. Hold on to your butts.